So now we're moving on to something a little different, um, science reporting. My name is Claire <coughs> O'Connell. Can everybody hear me? Great. So what we might do is when, when um, our panellists are up kind of talking about their specific fields, we might get you to go up to the podium, but then we can have the more general discussion here. So yeah, my name is Claire O'Connell. I am a science writer and journalist. I am standing in for Maria Delaney, who was due to chair this session. Unfortunately, she couldn't make it. So I'm very happy to, uh, to do it in her stead. Um, and we're very lucky today to have two excellent panellists to talk about um, the specialist beat that is science reporting. Uh, Kevin O'Sullivan from the Irish Times and Carmel Doyle, a freelance uh, science journalist as well. Um, so I suppose, uh, just as a matter of interest, how many people in the room would have a, a specific interest in science reporting? Can you show of hands? Okay, that's a decent smattering. Okay. Um, and I think more generally as we talk about it, well, science is a, a particular case. Um, I think it's important to think about that specialist beat and the opportunities that it provides for freelancers in what can be a bit of an uncertain environment. You know, it's always good to stand out um, and have a bit of an, a bit of an expertise. <laughs> so I suppose maybe we'll hear from our, our panellists first. Um, which of you? Kevin? Oh, uh, Carmel. All right, Carmel, <laughs> just tell, tell us about yourself. Um, so, good morning. Um, I'm just going to talk a little bit about how I got into science journalism. Then I'll cover ways people can get into the field and take a look at what it requires. I'll also cover some things to consider when writing about science. Um, science journalism requires all of the necessary skills to be a journalist, but because it's such a specialised area, there are other things to consider. Why did I get into it? It was how my role evolved that I started to write about science while working as a reporter at the technology news website siliconrepublic.com. I enjoyed the challenge of communicating scientific advancements, reporting on new findings, and being in a position to convey scientific ideas clearly and as, simple as simply as possible in a fast-paced news environment. I've also enjoyed communicating about the intersection of science with technology, especially at events in the Science Gallery and at the BT Young Scientist exhibitions. It's also refreshing to be able to report on scientific breakthroughs taking place in universities and research institutes. Um, being able to interview scientists, climate change experts and astronauts is an added bonus. I didn't get into science journalism through a postgraduate course. It was more so that my job evolved into that role. Um, so what does it take to be a science journalist? Often people start off as a general journalist and then specialise in science journalism. Other people choose to do a science communication course or some type of journalism postgraduate course and get into science writing that way. Some people get into science journalism after completing a science degree. This can be useful in terms of helping to understand all of the terminology. However, if the journalist doesn't come from a scientific background and doesn't understand a particular concept during an interview, they have to ask questions. This can ultimately help the reader as the journalist is able to explain a difficult concept in a way that is easy for people to understand. Um, firstly, it can be a good idea to specialise in a niche area or areas, it could be healthcare, the environment or climate change. Um, getting a foothold in a specialist area and building up your experience can help build your profile and mean that you become a go-to journalist for a particular area. Um, what it requires, you need both confidence and talent to work in this area. It's about being able to acquire knowledge quickly and convey it. Writing about science for a large audience means catching and retaining the reader's attention. Stories have to be explained in a short time frame. 
Science journalism needs people who can understand, translate and communicate specific scientific information. Journalists are required to be sceptical and to view a story, sci scientist or sci a specific scientific breakthrough with a critical eye. And as well as informing the public, <laughs> good science writing can also entertain. It can be an exciting and rewarding area to report on. One day you could be writing about particle physics, the next about climate change. So you need to be adaptable and open to reporting on diverse topics. Um, things that you need to consider when working as a science journalist include you must be able to evaluate research and create a dialogue about a specific topic and accurately communicate about it. Um, aim to draw the reader in in your opening sentence. You have to have a talent for communicating clearly and accurately. Um, you need to act as a bridge between the world of science and your readers. You must be able to make sense of a scientific discovery and communicate about it clearly. Um, ensure that the evidence you are writing about is reliable. Be able to sift through complex data and make sense of it and communicate key facts to the reader. Be thorough in your reporting. Be able to apply critical thinking to evaluate information that you are reporting on. Have an ability to interpret scientific <coughs> studies and to write about the main findings <coughs> theory. Be well informed, accurate and balanced in your reporting. Have critical thinking skills. Be open to writing about new subjects and to grow an audience. Write how you speak. Um, write conversationally. Read your copy out loud. If it's difficult for you, the writer, think about how it will impact the reader and be open to rewriting it. Ultimately, it's about staying curious and to be open to learning all the time. Things to watch. Do not write anything that you do not understand. You risk making errors. Be very sceptical if a scientist seems to be over-exaggerating claims. Check with an independent expert. Be prepared to edit your writing. Write up your first draft and leave it before editing it at, with a fresh eye. Write plainly and cut out any jargon. Double and triple check your facts. Who do science journalists write for? Many science journalists write for the general public. Others write for a specialist audience, such as scientists, the medical profession, or engineers. Science journalists gather information from a range of sources. Media packages from scientific journals and societies. News releases scientific journals, email pitches from scientists. You also attend news conferences and build contacts with your science, with scientists in your field of interest to learn of possible advancements. Most importantly, it's about interviewing scientists who have made a scientific discovery. Thank you. Kevin is the Environment and Science Editor of the Irish Times. So, um, Thanks for coming in, Claire. Um, I'm delighted to be here today, and I have to say I'm delighted to share an event with Bernie Nilartha. We we told long and hard on the West of Ireland branch of the NUJ for many years, and ran the branch with great inefficiency. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, we all started out as freelancers, and that's you know so that's where we're coming from today in the first instance. So we're just hoping that we can share some information that will be of use to you and that's what my presentation is going to be about rather than who I am but what my best advice to you would be 
and I'm afraid I have no fancy slides. I subscribe to the debt by PowerPoint, PowerPoint movement. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I think as Carmela has reflected, science is different and uh, you're bombarded by endless figures, data, you have to interpret statistics, you have to know your percentages and above all there's a need for precision and uh, that's one of the, the perils of working with fussy scientists, engineers and nerdy people who think they know everything. And also you have a particular problem and it's, pr it's very prevalent today and that is that it has its own distinct version of fake news. Just look at climate change mm -hmm. and the hype of wow discoveries. Your job is to differentiate between the real thing and the fakery. And then you quickly come to social media and unfortunately uh, it, that's a key channel uh, in terms of, of, of the fakery. But it's also a, a great font of knowledge and if those nerds approve of you, i.e. that you're fair and accurate, they're, they're a great source of expertise and support and you just have to call on them. And I'm amazed to how quickly and how easy that is to do. Unfortunately, also, you do get trolling and, uh, you know, I'm targeted by every climate change denier between here and the United States and every anti-wind farm organization in Ireland. <laughs> But my advice is that you, you, in all scenarios that you, that you engage with the reasonable voices. Um, an issue that Carmel has highlighted, and that is the complexity of modern science. And it is bloody complex. And, uh, but I, I've, you know, I, I, I think it's reassuring to know that you, you're not expected to know everything. And um, it can be very intimidating. My brother-in-law is a pain management specialist. He took time off to study in the States and he told me, I asked him who was he working with and he explained some really complex uh, science that, that he, was, he was working with a professor, some neurotransmitter. And he said to me, you know, I don't even understand a word he was saying, you know, so that's, that's how complex and how niche science can get nowadays. So don't be intimidated by that. I, I echo the advice of Carmel and others that, you know, it, and Claire, it is, you know, good to become an expert and we can talk more about that later, but you can't be a nerd in everything. As for me, I'm definitely biological, health, the science of climate change, renewable energy, bugs of every description from E. coli to the flu virus, having studied microbiology is my thing. So if you're in the area of science, you have to ask, what's yours? And you have to be honest with yourself. Like for me, I'm bloody bad at maths. I'm pretty poor on IT and advanced computing, but I know how to get by in that area. I know the checks to apply and some of them Carmen's already mentioned. On sources, just to give you a quick flavor of my view, um, in terms of mainstream science, The Guardian, New York Times, Financial Times, Globe and Mail in Canada, and dare I say it, the Irish Times, and yes, we, we have a liberal view of the world, but we also happen to have a good uh, breadth of science coverage that, that uh, is very helpful. Um, just to say on specialist pu publications, every field has its own go-to publication that is the most authoritative. And just talk to people, you know, talk to an electrical engineer. What does he read most in terms of information, articles, journalism, explanation? And then you, th you get to that source. But for me... There are a number of places I go to all the time. Eureka Alert is a brilliant catch-all listing of, of science of significance. I, I can circulate the list uh, to you uh, afterwards if anyone is interested in it. 
but you have to make sure that you're accredited to individual publications that might feature on your alert because you might see this is a great story about magic mushrooms or whatever and then you, you, you don't have access to when you click on it so make sure you sign up to all the, all those organizations science uh, and as in the publication science and all the related publications that are coming out of the United States sometimes very high-ended science but very useful increasingly they're improving their communications in terms of relating to journalists and explaining their science on climate there's a lot of really excellent digital sources, uh, Climate Home News, Grist, Inside Climate News. Again, I can, I can sub subscribe uh, a full list to you. Uh, on technology, I have great admiration for Silicon Republic in Ireland. Really good, very authoritative, really gives a good flavour of the Irish scene. On health, The Lancet, BMJ, JAMA, the Journal of um, uh, American uh, Medical Association, is, and there's a host of others that are really good and, and uh, you can sign up and you will, you will be fed with plenty of alerts about when something is coming. It might be in a week's time and two weeks time. Um, and a lot of them have uh, update briefings which you can tune into online that are extremely useful. One thing I find in terms of a chaotic lifestyle, which I'm sure a lot of you have, uh, weekly newsletters I find are a great way of distilling the issues in a particular field and I find that helps me organize my working week. So the ones like, for example, that I tune into are New York Times on climate. The FT has an excellent one on energy and all, you know, on the future of fossil fuels. The Guardian has a weekly one on a Friday on science and green technology. Yale, as in Yale University, has one on climate research, which is particularly good and very accessible. One thing in, in terms of using those sources, be really careful on embargo because um, they mean it when they have an embargo in place. And just be very careful on the 24-hour clock on GMT or Eastern Time or whatever, because you get confused. I get confused, and I've noticed that they get really, they get really cross if if you transgress. And increasingly, they put you on a blacklist, and they give you, <laughs> they might give you one chance, and then you're gone. And I I know people who have been cut out of say, I know, I know one very uh, reputable journalist who's cut out of all OECD publication and briefings for three months and it, it made it difficult for him you know because sometimes you're getting very complex reports and the more time you get to digest them and analyze them is really helpful and it's 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 good for your reader so just to be really <coughs> careful on on all of that just to focus then on the particular dangers and risks for science journalism and Carmel again has highlighted some of them uh, the dangers of cure for cancer reporting in other words <laughs> you know breast cancer oh it's there's a cure out there and we can all relax and you know f finally after all the trauma of particular types of cancer just be really wary of that and be also careful and, and when you have a short deadline to, to publication you know don't fall into the fueling the the, the scare story out there and, and just look at the risks now that there are to infants and young children today because of those who gave credibility to rogue medics rubbish the MMR vaccine and we continue to pay the price today years later for sensationalist reporting in the form of measles outbreaks and fatalities and I think there's a bit of a difference here between staff journalists and and people that are are, are freelance and I know I know I freelance myself for, for three years so I know exactly what it's like but uh, I think in a staff scenario, you have news editors that are constantly barking about you. Oh, this is definitely, not, you know, when you say this is the first time something happened, it's unique, it's historic. They'll question that immediately. And so that's kind of like an alarm bell ringing in your ear all the time. 
but for a freelancer who might be in a small tucked away place and you might be you know friends with someone who thinks our aromatherapy <laughs> solves everything you might have a different view and uh you know you might be sort of inclined more to to publish something that has little or no scientific scientific basis and it's for some reason i don't know why but you probably know but for particular reasons um that seems to be very prevalent in, in relations to in relation to issues about diet um and and uh you know, natural remedies and and psychology for some reason, <laughs> but that's you know that's my own personal view. Anyway, I'm I'm old-fashioned, and where possible, if someone says plant stenols cause cancer, big headline. Uh, I, you know, I would contend you should, if possible, uh, run that by an established cancer researcher to put it in context and to decide whether this guy is poppy same poppycock or whatever. Um, uh, and I think that's a good sort of safety net. Be wary of small studies with tiny samples, um, but don't dismiss them. Sometimes they are, are, are relevant. You can sit up more when you see large observational studies involving thousands of people or hundreds of thousands of people, uh, even though this might only be a study of studies, uh, but sometimes they, they, they come to far-reaching conclusions over a long period of time. And the other hard reality is that a basic research breakthrough in a lab uh, may be real and potentially a cure, but it might take five years for that cure or possible cure to turn into a, an effective drug treatment. And that's, you know, on, on the basis of all going well. And I've learned uh, a, a, sort of a sort of a biological rule sometimes. What's uh, not toxic in, in a mouse could be toxic in a human, even though the both species are remarkably similar uh, in a whole series of ways. The other thing to be careful about is that science is competitive. Um, not all researchers are in the game for the betterment of humanity, I'm afraid to say. They are competing for multi-millions of euros in research grants. Also, academic promotion hinges on citations. I don't agree with that, but it's the reality. So question the claims, the talk of big breakthroughs, and this is the first time that this has been achieved with healthy skepticism. The hard lesson was reflected for me recently when we published a story about uh, which questioned the benefits of cholesterol-lowering statins, which also suggested high cholesterol doesn't cause heart disease. But on reflection, it's clearly a minority view. The mainstream view was the exact opposite, and very much so. And it provides a valuable lesson in two regards. Firstly, science and health is often about probability rather than black and white verdicts. Secondly, as one leading cardiologist said to me in relation to the story, the best scientists get published in the best journals. This study was in a minor, less influential publication and that's to put it mildly so if you're not sure about anything go back to the researchers involved and ask am I interpreting this correctly it is surprising how many of them are prepared to take time out to put to help you in your quest they don't mind being asked even with their, their hectic working lives they want you to get it right and also if in doubt uh, you know, consult your ever-building uh, band of experts. And if you're credible and good and authoritative and accurate, your, your natural pool of experts that you can call or will build and avail of them. 
One fantastic outlet that I rely on all the time is the Science uh, Media Centre in London. It's an international not-for-profit organisation. The nearest one to you is in London. So what they do is they have uh, the best scientists around, both in Britain and Ireland, who will give a view on a study, often remarkably quickly, and put it in context. And they want you to quote that. It's reliable. They explain where they're coming from, what research they they've done if they're compromised or not in any way and um so the, the, the really interesting thing about it they're superb on the significance of what is claimed is it justified in terms of the findings how was the study done sample size etc very helpful the other alert i'm afraid i have to sound is that science fraud is increasingly evident there are unprecedented number of journals who do not do standard peer view review prior to publication Shocking as that might seem. What is helpful, though, in that regard is Ivan Oransky's website, Retraction Watch, which was set up in 2010 to shine a light into a dark corner. Scientific papers pulled after publication because of unreliable results. That can be a euphemism for all sorts of skullduggery, and um, I'm afraid to say Irish studies have featured on that list some on and off over the years. Just a general point then before I finish uh, on science and uh, the role of journalists and communication. <coughs> As scientists, your, your first duty is to your readers to report accurately and fairly, but also to help them understand, to provide context, to de-jargonize, but don't dumb down. And that's not an easy task. It requires a delicate balance. Separately, I would contend that scientists need to communicate better more with the outside world, given what faces the earth, the issues that we all face in our daily lives, especially the amount of fake news that's out there in circulation, the complexities of modern living, the, the obvious effects of complex climate change. Mary Robinson has, has articulated that view very strongly and repeatedly because she also believes that uh, uh, you know, the public, we as consumers, as, as citizens of the world, would have responded better to the, the threat of climate change if that communication had been better from the people who, who know about it, the scientists. Just briefly uh, on, on outlets and, and work, more, more importantly for you, uh, that it's, it is true to say that the demand for good journalists is unprecedented, particularly in a digital world and that will accelerate it due, due to the colossal need for content. It's amazing, for example, the big corporations that have their own media outlets, uh, quite stunning. Then there's the NGOs that have become much more professional that have very significant media divisions. That they're just two examples. But standing back from that, the real issue is payment, securing a living and going beyond short-term contract work. The demand for specialist journalists has never been stronger, and, and I would include technology as well as science in that. I know profile helps a lot, so you know you, you have to establish yourself. But my best advice is don't be fooled twice when it comes to payment. Once, okay, but then step in and say, I'm not going to do this work unless I get adequately paid for it. But I think, uh, as Seamus has highlighted, it is a very good time for science and science journalism. You know, it's tough, there are plenty of pitfalls, but it is exciting to echo what Seamus said uh, uh, and Carmel earlier. 
Just look at the big issues. AI, quantum computing, immunotherapy, the science of the brain, decarbonization technology, autonomous vehicles, genetic engineering of illness and aging. So pick one, become an expert in one or two. And you know, it's, 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 these are the great frontiers, uh, as, you, as you probably know. And my final advice to you uh, is that you, you join with fellow science writers and, and reporters in terms of organization, in terms of signing up to particular organizations, whether it's the Irish Science and Technology Journalists Association, the British Science Association, the American Association for the Advancement of Science, for three reasons. It's a great way of keeping in touch. You, you're not operating on a sort of sole basis, which is inevitably what, what a freelancer has to do a lot of the time. But you get to know what's going on, what's going on behind the scenes, and you learn also of, of journalistic opportunities, whether it's in the form of work, projects, and conferences. So I hope that is helpful to you, and uh, I, I, I'm delighted to receive an email from any of you that want to do more in the science end or any advice. Uh, so um, my email is kosullivan at irishtimes.com, and even to meet for a coffee. I can't guarantee it'll be instantly, but I promise you we will meet at some point if that's helpful. Uh, so good luck, and thank you very much. complex and nuanced area, but also a very exciting one. And I'm interested in, in, in you saying there, uh, don't dumb things down. I always find that phrase really frustrating. because I prefer to see it as making things accessible to more people, um, but it's, all, it's often called dumbing down. And um, I suppose just, um, you mentioned your, your background in science, I have a background in science too, and sometimes that does give you a bit of a kind of a, a shoe in the door. Not necessarily because of the area you study, but because you understand how scientific studies are put together and the, what's involved in research. Um, what would your advice be, both of you, I suppose, for somebody who doesn't have a background in science, who's interested in getting into science reporting? Well, um, I think you start off, I think, I think it's a good idea to start off as a general journalist first and then to um, build up your profile that way and then find an area that you want to specialise in. Okay. And um, get PR contacts, get, get known, uh, get contacts, science contacts. And so develop your journalistic skills and then be led by your own interests, yes, maybe, and gravitate yes. something that you find, find yes. interesting. Kevin, would you? I think the principles. The principles of good journalism apply in the first instance, and then you just transfer those into the science end. I think you have to be honest with yourself and say, look, am I going to be good at this? Like, if, if, as I said, I'm not good at math, so I don't go into math research very much. I have to tell you, I occasionally write about it. But I do, you know, I do have expertise in certain areas, and I think that's where you need to work out, have a very honest conversation with yourself. Am I good at this? Maybe it might be environmental science. It could be, uh, you know, frontier basic research. But if you apply those principles, you can get into those areas. You can't be an expert in everything, so to, to, to narrow, narrow it down and, and ask for help and ask, uh, you know, ask uh, those around you, the experts you will inevitably come in contact with and, and it will be, it'll be a two-way conversation. But I think actually, you know, it's not the worst thing that you would go into science and you don't have any science background because you're acting in, you know, in the reader's interest. And I, I, there's a very famous political journalist who used to go around uh, Dublin, I won't name his name, but anyway, who used to say he knew nothing, he didn't understand anything, you know, and 
that was a way of just getting in on it. And people said, well, I'll explain it, you know. And, you know what I mean? and, and somehow we got the key information. You know? so, but, but, you know, that, that approach is not the worst in an even applying to science. And, uh, and, but, you know, if you're not sure, don't go there or don't, as you were saying very clearly, don't write about it until you, you have an understanding yourself. I suppose the other point to make is that increasingly science is becoming interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary. So science researchers, scientists are being encouraged to work with people from humanities, from historians, people who are interested in engineering, other, other facets. So you know, I suppose there's always a way to plug into it from some angle. And there are also huge social issues in science. There's, um, there's, there's issues with, with representation, you know, gender diversity and things like that, which if that is your interest as well, that's a way of kind of plugging into, plugging into that area. Did I see a couple of hands there? I think it's somewhat dangerous to sort of come down on a point of view, even if it's majority of scientists behind it. Because so many times in our history, science has told us things like nuclear power is clean and safe. Yeah. Like uh, <laughs> yeah. Mars, Mars has no canals, so there's never water on Mars. And this was the accepted truth. So I would be a little wary about discounting alternative viewpoints altogether. I would think that instead of saying, well, I probably would make an exception in terms of climate change, climate change and the 91 scientists. I don't think there's much space for climate deniers now. But I think there are a number of issues, like immunology and vaccine, where there are really good arguments on either side and examples. And maybe only one out of a thousand dies from a vaccine. But that's still, if yours that one, or your child is that one, it's relevant. So, yeah. and I no, think it's necessary to maintain a nuanced point of view. Absolutely, I'm not, I'm not saying that you reject the minority view. I, I actually, we published that second story, and we got castigated for it. But we did, you know, and I, and I would be in that camp that you do, you do have to to reflect the diversity of views. But if if the probability is saying there's a 90% probability of such an app, you have to uh, you have to weigh that up scientifically and say. There is evidence here, but again, you know, you if you're you can't be the expert all the time either. You know what I mean? You have to sometimes just report and be as fair as possible about that. And there are issues, like for example, nuclear power. You know, there's potential in micro nuclear power that is less damaging to the environment. Some would say, and you know, so you can't dismiss nuclear power and say it, you know it's going to lead for lead to contamination for centuries to come and say, abandon the technology. So you just have to be, you know, to, to try and balance as best you can in, in such a scenario. Okay, thank you. Any other questions? Hand down the back. Hi, uh, hi uh, my name is Lenny Antonelli. I do a little bit of uh, science supporting writing. And um, I was wondering if um, maybe Kevin, as, as an editor, and, and, uh, and Carmen and Clara as journalists, could talk a bit about, like, um, the kind of stories that Irish science freelancers can exploit in the sense that, um, you know, like big stories like IPCC reports or WHO reports or the Large Hadron Collider and stuff. All of that kind of stuff is kind of usually kind of covered by staff journalists. It's kind of semi in the public domain. So what are the what are the kind of avenues that freelancers should be looking to exploit? Lenny, you totally stole my next question. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, well, I can, I can jump in there first because um, I know in my experience, I mean, I've, I've worked as a freelance science journalist now for 14 years, I think. And I would have been writing several pieces a week for the Irish Times at one point. And I learned very quickly that you find the gaps. 
you know, that you know that the big nature and science papers, uh, you know, Dick Alstrom was going to cover them, or so, you know, a staff reporter was going to cover them. So I've, I found this stuff kind of around the outsides that was still really, really interesting, or maybe had a local angle on an international story. So there could be an international story breaking on a big new study on obesity. So I'd go and be ringing up people like Don Lachey or Lydia Lynch or people who were working in that area. So I kind of bring it down to that, to that local sort of insight. So yeah, absolutely though, you do have to be aware that um, you have to think a little bit differently sometimes about the stories that you're reporting. Carmel, has that been your experience? Or? Yeah, I think so, yeah, you have to find the gaps and find something that's different than what I've been. I just wanted to say, um, you know, science is not the only kind of specialist area where I think there's space for freelancers. Law is another one, and uh, you know, some of the some of the outlets do have legal affairs correspondence, um, but there are still often a huge number of gaps. For example, I'm not aware of anybody looking even at <coughs> the cases that are coming down the tracks from European Court of Human Rights. You know, we, you know, we do a bit of work reporting here, um, and uh, there, uh, there's. Um, a, a thing called a peeler bulletin, the FLAC, the Free Legal Advice Centres, they set up Public Interest Law Alliance, which is um, lawyers working in the public interest field. Many of them are in the main, in main companies who are now offering a certain amount there. They have a, a kind of weekly bulletin with all the developments in human rights law in the world, you know, which is in there every week. So there are areas of, in other specialist areas where there might be a staff reporter, who, um, you, but might, and they might be plowing their own particular furrow. <coughs> I, mean, I think that the current Irish Times affairs correspondent has a particular interest in commercial law. But there's a whole, you know, that's only a tiny little segment in my view of the whole that whole world. Um, so if you have a special interest, uh, you know, do look for news in that area, not be it science or you know law, or there, will, there will be other kind of disciplines as well where that might be the case. Yeah, if, I, if I could just quickly add, um, we're only scratching the surface really in many ways because we're in a daily news environment um, and we're bombarded with you know 40 science developments in the one day. So I think the getting the local angle is, is probably the best advice. Um, for example, if there's a big CERN breakthrough, it's amazing how often you will find that there's some academic somewhere in NUIG or in Maynooth or in Queens who's beavering away and is contributing some significant way to that research uh, and has, has, hasn't been surfaced. And you know, there's your in immediately. And uh, I think also uh, the scale of scientific endeavour in Ireland uh, and then look, just look at the multinationals, the tech companies, the pharmaceuticals, the medical device companies that have their headquarters in Ireland. You know, they're cutting edge companies with major research facilities. And, you know, again, we're only doing a very tiny fraction of what's coming out of them. And so therefore, that's a very rich field, I think, you could, yeah. you could pursue. Absolutely, and think about, uh, I know Kevin, this is your, your, the science page man, but think about reporting beyond the science page as well. Um, I, I always recall a story I did for, uh, 
for the motoring supplement. Um, now, I, I know nothing about cars, um, but I did, I recall a, a story about a wheel that some archaeologists had reconstructed from a bog in Longford from 3,000 years ago, and it was fascinating, and that ended up in the motoring supplement. So think about other areas where you can kind of, like, wind your way in with the science as well. It's, it's, about, it's about that, that sort of finding the gaps. Um, I know we're coming close to the end of the session, but are there any more questions? Um, I just wanted to ask on your first point about coming at science from a non-scientific background. I'm particularly interested in psychology. I subscribe to the British Psychological Digest and I find um, that they're very harrowing when they present a headline. They go through the study and they talk about um, the data <coughs> set and the meta-analysis and everything like that. Now, I don't fully understand that. Um, sometimes I'm kind of glazing over it to get to the point where they're explaining to me what the limitations of the data collection are. But would you really want to be going that in depth when you're hunting for accuracy? You know, to be asking the particular scientist or company, well, what were your data collection methods and how, like, and to understand what even the meta-analysis means? Um, Personally, <coughs> yes, yes, I would. Yeah. Uh, meta-analysis is just when they lump a whole load yeah. of studies together yeah. and could pool the data and yeah. see what the bigger story is. Um, so, yeah, I would always be interested in how people got their data. Yeah. Um, as Kevin said, sometimes studies can have very small sample sizes, which means in the jargon they're not that powerful, as in, you know, they may not actually be giving you the true story about That's what's going mean. on. I mean, I know yeah. they're all pushing their own, like even my own doctor would say to me, if a drug come, lands on her desk and says it's going to do X, Y, and Z, she's like, I want to be seeing the story with my own eyes. Yeah, yeah. I, think yeah. It's, I think it's good practice. I also think... Um, you know, if you, you can sign up for all the press releases as well, but that should be your starting point, not your end point. Um, I, you know, that's your jumping off point for, for sparking an interest in the story, but you yeah. go, you read the academic paper, you go and talk to the people involved, preferably talk to somebody who wasn't involved in that study but knows the field. As okay. Kevin says, you'll probably find somebody local who has an interest in that area. I definitely do the digging around rather than just taking what's presented to you as a top line. And if you were to say, misconstrue the data in the way that we think that some people have by saying, you know, and the work causes autism or men's brains are bigger than women's brains. What are the risks as a journalist? Are you like are you liable merely for that sort of reputational or are you I think reputationally as a freelance, yeah. yes you are. Yeah. Um, so and that's why it's always good to go and seek a variety of opinions and also cover yourself when you write. Don't you know a lot of results in science are not cut and dried, they're not black and white, so, and, and part of that is an issue with how we learn science in school. We learn as a set of answers, it's actually a set of interesting questions and best guesses yeah. for what we can tell from the data at the time. Um, but it's, <coughs> you know, when, when you have a 400 word article, it's hard to get that nuance across sometimes. Would you acknowledge always that there are limitations to yes. the study? Yeah, yeah. yeah but, but you don't have to explain them all either, you know what I mean? You can say, you can summarise and say this was qualified based on age grounds or something okay. like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's highly technical and you're going to lose your readers instantly. But if you have Just that antennae there, mm. yes. Now the, the, the hard reality is that if you make a mistake, you will learn pretty instantly that you made a mistake. So most people are reasonable despite the penal laws of libel in this country that still exist. And if you correct it quickly, uh, if it's justified, they, they will say, fine, I can understand. You know, and so that's... But I wouldn't okay. be, you know, I, it goes back to our earlier po point, I think, just be really careful in the first instance, yeah. you know, and yeah. I think that, that you'll get most, you'll catch yeah. all the sort of the, the pitfalls yeah. in most cases in that scenario. Absolutely. So any other questions for our panellists?
Uh, just off that, uh, can you talk a bit about the pressures that you feel from industry uh, on reporting in such and such a way and how you resist that? Um, both yeah. When you were a freelancer and then when you have uh, yeah. an institution behind you. Yeah, it's a big issue, and um, but you know we're all we we in any journalistic role, uh, reporting role or writing role, you get that. And, um, I think the one thing I, I was out of science journalism for a while and I'm back in now uh, but the one change is that that universities have big PR companies that pester you all, all the time um, drug companies have much more aggressive PR sites uh, and again I, I very rarely entertain them actually in terms of I read what they might say uh, and you know move <coughs> on but it's remarkable how rarely that influenced what I would write about a medication um, uh, but it is, it's a constant pest presence out there, I'm afraid, and you just have to learn to deal with it. Um, and sometimes it's helpful though, you know what I mean, you, you can, so you can't dismiss it all it, just in terms of providing <coughs> some background, so you just be careful what, what you, you know, take on board, I think that's the best advice. So we've had a lot of good advice from our panellists, but I'm just going to ask them each for their kind of bottom line takeaway from this session. Carmel, what would you what would you say to freelancers um, looking to beef up their science reporting? Yeah, um, I, I think it's a, it's a good idea to find a niche area to specialise in and to find your passion for what you're excited about. I think that's important. Yeah, you have to enjoy what you're writing about. Um, it's true. important. Uh, that's my... That's great. <laughs> enjoy seek, seek out what you enjoy, Kevin. Um, I, I, I'm amazed how the amount of opportunity that's out there actually you know and I think that opportunity applies to even non-science <coughs> journalists just to, if you go about it in a very careful methodical way and um, so that's the good thing and to go back to my earlier point not don't be exploited and that's hard sometimes when you have to try and you know keep an income but just don't like I remember once been promised a share in a, a food magazine it never relied it's, even though your man owed me a few hundred euro I can tell you but anyway yeah, you know so just well I'm sure you're you're all street wise but just yes. don't buy the line of exposure exposure yeah. kills <laughs> <laughs> alright listen thank you so much for to our panelists Kevin and Carmen Lenny Antonelli, who's down there, who asked a question earlier, I met 10 years ago when he was doing a podcast called Cybernia, which was Science Ireland. Um, one of the first stories I did for Lenny was an interview with a couple of scientists down in Chagask, who were doing the first genetic modification work in Ireland, where they were modifying this potato by adding genes from a different potato. It was the most Irish science story ever. <laughs> um, it occurs to me that just uh, listen to that, that everyone thinks about UCD and Trinity and UCC, and one of the biggest science operations in Ireland is actually Chagas. They're a world leader in food technology and agriculture. Um, that's something that Ireland does a lot of, and it's worth keeping an eye on. They actually uh, have a quarterly research magazine, which yeah. is worth... And I, I think they put it online. I and I get their press releases, which yeah. are yeah, fascinating. Sign up for them. Yeah, there's all sorts yeah. of gems in there. Yeah. Um, it also occurs to me that the two big topics, I think, in the next 10 years, not in Ireland, but just worldwide even, are going to be environment and probably data protection. And we've now covered both of them in the last couple of forums, so well done us. <laughs>